Well, it's a great joy for me to be here. If you're a guest for the first time, my name is Al Pino. I am one of the pastors, as Jim mentioned. He is the second of three of us, Corey Smidgen. Uh, and we are excited that you're here this morning. What we do now is we open God's Word and we study that Word. And so please open to the book of Romans, the book of Romans, chapter 8. And the title of our message is Life in the Spirit. Life in the Spirit. And the text is Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. By the way, if you don't own a Bible and you would like one, please receive our Bible as a gift. We have some on this back table, hardback. We also have some Bibles in English and Spanish. Uh, So if you are wanting to learn Spanish or wanting to learn English, you speak either of the other, uh, please take one of the paperback Bibles, the bilingual Bibles. Use them this morning. Here's the thing. Go do it now, because it's very important that you see the words, that you read the words, that these words penetrate into your hearts, because these words are God's words. That's what we believe. That's why we take the majority of our time to preach from the Bible, from God's word, because we believe it's true. Now, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 11, is a commentary on Romans chapter 7, verse 6. So before we read Romans 8, 1 to 11, I'd like for us to look again at Romans chapter 7, verse 6. This is a passage that Corey Smidgen preached from three weeks ago. So we're working our way through the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8 comes after chapter 7. So three weeks ago, we preached from this message. And today's passage is God's commentary... On this, on this passage right here. This is called the analogy of Scripture. This is where Scripture comments on Scripture. So the best way to understand what the Scripture is saying is for the Scripture itself to interpret it for you. And that's exactly what we have today. So let's look at Romans 7, 6. But now you are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. So that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. The connection between Romans 7, 6 and Romans 8, 1 through 11 is the word spirit. Do you see it there? What is this new way of the spirit? As a matter of fact, Romans 8, 1 through 11 is going to answer some questions that are raised by Romans 7, 6. What does it mean to be released from the law? Does that mean I don't have to obey it anymore? What does it mean to having died to that, the law, which held me captive? I thought the law was good. I thought only bad people hold others captive. And what does it mean to serve in the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code? Today... God answers the questions that came up in this text. So I want us to be thinking about those questions. I want us to see the connection here. Because, friends, what has happened is God has inaugurated a new age of the Spirit. God has inaugurated something new. The kingdom of God has come. The end which is the kingdom of God coming, has now broken into the present by the Spirit of God because of what Jesus Christ has done. And so God has brought life 
into a place of death. We have life in the spirit. So I want to pray. I want to pray for God to give us understanding of his life in the spirit. Not just so that we can intellectually get it. Oh, that starts there. But friends, so that you can experience it. We experience a lot of death in this world. A lot of sadness and sorrow. You may be here this morning, as Jim alluded to earlier, feeling a little hopeless, a little defeated, a little unsure of the future. Your faith may be very weak right now, having been tried through the trials of this world, through the tribulations, through the sufferings of this world. Your own failures may be mocking you this morning. Failure to do what you know is right. Failure to not do what you know is wrong. Jim preached about this last week. And in the midst of that, God is here in this text this morning. He's here by his Holy Spirit this morning to give us hope, to give us his life in the Spirit. So let's pray. Lord, please give us your life through your spirit because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Help me to preach this word, Lord, in a way that is clear, the way you want it preached. And help my friends hear it in a way that is filled with faith. Lord, would you give us hope? Give hope to the hopeless. Give faith to that one who is lacking faith. Lord, give joy to that one who is lacking joy. Give assurance to that one who is wrestling with anxiety this morning. Lord, if there are some here this morning, maybe they woke up in the middle of the night just having an anxiety attack. This morning, they're worried. There is no joy. Lord, would you bring the assurance that this text that you bring right now, living God, you are here by your spirit and you are speaking through your word. Oh, build us up as your people, I pray in Jesus name. Amen. Now, as I read this text, I want you to do something, please. Grab a pen or a pencil out of your purse or your your uh, backpack. Open the text up. And as I read Romans 8, 1 to 11, I want you to circle every time you see the word spirit. I want you to count with me how many times this word is used in this text. You ready? Here we go. Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from, in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit." For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh 
is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And this amazing promise in verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. How many times was the word spirit used in our text? That's right, 11. So we see that the main link between 7-6 and 8-1-3-11 is the spirit, capital S, the spirit of God. It is 8, 1 through 11 is God's description of the way we serve in the Spirit, in the newness of the Spirit. He, he, he brought that truth forth in 7, 6, and now He explains it. He opens it up for us so that we can understand it. However, there is another connection. You see the word, therefore, the third word of verse 1? That therefore points backward. And what it points backward to is what is spoken in verses 24 and 25 of chapter 7. The therefore in 8.1 points to the two preceding verses. And look at them with me. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. In order for God to inaugurate the new age of the Spirit, He must deliver us from the old way of the body of death or the flesh. He had to deal with that which condemned us. In the first century, The Romans had several ways to deal with executing a condemned prisoner. Now, you're familiar with one of those ways, aren't you? Crucifixion. But there was another way that was every bit as cruel, maybe even more cruel than crucifixion. And here's what they did. They would take the dead body of a person, and in the case of a murderer... They would take the dead body of the murderer's victim and they would tie that dead body to the murderer. Face to face, palm to palm. And that convicted, condemned murderer had to walk around with that dead body, the dead body of his victim, decomposing right in his face so that ultimately he too would die in a wretched embrace of oozing disease and decomposition. And no one, no one could cut that body off of him on pain of death. So no one could touch that dead body on that, on that prisoner. If they cut that body off, they would have to die. 
Now, it's interesting. This practice really first appeared in writings about 80 years before Paul wrote this letter to the Christians in Rome, what we call the Book of Romans. So about 80 years before Paul wrote this, this horrible practice I just described emerges in writings of the time. I believe that it is this practice that Paul had in mind when he wrote verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I believe he was pointing back to what he had written in 7, 24 and 25. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And as soon as he said that, every Roman Christian went, Ugh, I get the picture. I've seen the condemned man walk by. I've smelled the stench of a decomposing body. I've seen a man crumble to the ground and finally die an agonizing death tied to a corpse. Oh, it was a vivid illustration for them. When Paul says, wretched man that I am, he's not just being theatrical. He's desperate. He's desperate. And then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now jump to Romans 8.1. This is that therefore. This is that therefore that he writes there. And so he's wanting to explain how God delivered him from the body of death through Christ so that he could then give us, give him the spirit of life. Remember 7.6? We've got this newness of the spirit that supersedes the oldness of the written code. But I also believe that it's linking to 7, 24, and 25. We had to be set free from this body of death by someone. See, he was explaining how we were released from the law, having died to it in order to be united to Christ. The very thing that Corey preached three weeks ago from Romans 7, 6. And the best illustration that he could come up with was the one I just outlined to you. You see, Paul... Paul was that condemned man, tied to a corpse, the body of death, the flesh, unable to fulfill God's law, which rightly condemned him to death. And he represents all of us, wretched men and women that we are, with no hope of deliverance. Some of you can relate to this. You remember those days, condemned and dying, miserable, no hope. Perhaps you feel like that right now. For you... You are desperate for someone to come deliver you from the body of death, to cut you free from the rotting corpse which you are tied to. And that someone is Jesus Christ who sets us free from the body of death, the flesh, to give us the spirit of life. And that is why Romans 8.1 says what it says. Look at it. See, God is proclaiming this to all of us this morning, right now, afresh and anew. There is no, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? And here's the main point of the, of the, of the text. Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death that we might serve in the newness of the spirit. I mean... What does God base the fact that we are now no longer condemned on? He bases it upon this fact that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death so that we might serve God in the newness of the spirit. Do you see the connections between this and 7-6? We have now been released from the law. We've died to that which held us captive so that we might now serve in newness of the spirit. 
What does that mean? That's what this is explaining. That's what this is explaining. So point one. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. Look at verses 1 to 4 with me. When it says there that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, that's just another word for the gospel. This is is Christ's life, death, resurrection, and ascension. And then look what it says here. This law of the spirit of life in verse 2 has set us free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Verse 3, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh (coughs) could not do. You see, the problem isn't with the law. The problem is with the flesh. So the law cannot deliver me from sin and death because for the law to deliver me from sin and death, I have to fulfill it. I have to obey it perfectly, and I can't. So therefore, I need someone to come and to enable me to fulfill the law perfectly. I need someone to come and help me with this body of flesh because it is the body of flesh. It is my flesh. It is that fallen man. It is that who we are in Adam. We were born under the judgment of the law. It is that which turns the law, which is good, into something that becomes for me the law of sin and death. The law that is good is used by sin to kill me because it shows me what I should be doing and it promises me life if I do it, but I can't do it. So who's going to set me free from this body of death? Look at verse 3b and 4. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Verse 3b, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. By the way, folks, here we're going to see the Trinity in action. God the Father, here now sending God the Son, and a little bit later... The whole God, the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling us. He's even called at one point the Spirit of Christ. You see, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all three God, one God, three persons. And in the economy of salvation, they had three different roles in applying salvation to us. Jesus' role was to come in the likeness of sinful flesh. This is what the Bible calls the incarnation. He didn't sin. He wasn't born with sin, but he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. And look what he came to do. In the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, that phrase for sin in the Greek is understood as an atonement, an atonement to sacrifice for sin. That particular phrase is used often in Hebrews. So for sin means Jesus came to die on the cross for our sin. And then look what it says at the end of three. He condemns sin in the flesh. So here's the picture, friends. And the Romans would have gotten it initially. I'm walking around with a dead corpse strapped to my face and my palms. Its decomposing body is killing me. I am walking in an ooze of decomposition and disease. And no one can cut that body off because if they do, they will die. And Jesus came to earth. He came down to this earth and he walks up to each one of us and he takes the knife and he cuts the body off of us knowing he's going to die. He knew that it meant he would die. And he did it willingly so that he took the punishment. Someone had to die. A murder was committed. If you're not going to die an agonizing death, then the guy who cut it off of you will die. And Jesus died an agonizing death on the cross. 
to set us free from the body of sin. And he condemned sin in the flesh. That's what it means. See, what Jesus delivers us of, this, this is the very important point. He delivers us from the penalty that we deserve when he died on the cross. He delivers us from the righteous judgment of the law on us as lawbreakers. So in 7.6, when it says that we died to the law, when we're released from the law, it wasn't the law that held me captive. It was my sin that the law exposed that held me captive. So the very thing that causes the law to be a law of sin and death, Jesus deals with in his death on the cross. So that I'm set free now. Go back to verse 2 of 8. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. That's, he's explaining that in verse 3. And because that's true, there's now no condemnation. I don't walk around as a condemned man anymore with a corpse attached to my body. That's good news. That's really good news. I don't die to the law in the sense of I don't obey it. I die to the law as the means by which I'm made righteous before God. Where do you see that, Al? Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. In order that, so at the end of 3, he just finishes telling us that Jesus' death accomplished for us freedom from this body of death. He condemns sin in the flesh so that we might go free. Listen, friends, you know why there's now no condemnation for us? Because Jesus was condemned in our place. It is praise God, but there's a comma there. As a matter of fact, this is a huge praise God. I don't want to ever move on from this praise God. But that comma, I've got to pay attention to that comma. There's not a period at the end of that sentence. Look at it. Look at verse 3. I'm telling you, circle it. These are words. These words are God's words. They're important words. Understand the words. Understand the grammar. Look at the comma between 3 and 4. In order that. In order that. Corey preached this when he preached on 7-6. In order that. I'm set free from the law as the way I'm made righteous to God. Not so that I don't have to obey it or I can break it a bunch of times. Do I sin the more so that grace would increase? No, no. I'm set free from the law as means of making being righteous. I'm set free from the law as the thing that cuts off this dead body off me. That's not the way it's going to get cut off. No, no. I'm free that way so that I can what? I can obey the law. Not as a means of my justification. That comes in Christ. But look at four, comma, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, for the rest of this text, what's going to dominate this text, kind of like the heat are going to dominate the spurs tonight. What's going to dominate this text, I had to get that in there. What's going to dominate this text is this contrast between spirit and flesh. Spirit and flesh. I want you to look at how many times spirit is mentioned and how many times right with it. Here's what it is in the spirit, but this is what it is in the flesh. The flesh brings you death. The spirit brings you life and peace. You're going to see all these contrasts between spirit and flesh. Let me just say something very quickly as we move into point two. And let's go ahead and move into point two, which is in Christ we serve God in the newness of the spirit. There are no imperatives. Imperatives are commands in this text right here. There will be some next week. So come back next week for the imperatives. 
But this week, there are no imperatives. This isn't a text that is telling us, listen, because Christ cut that dead body off of you, I want you to now walk in the spirit instead of walking in the flesh. That's not what it's saying. What we're going to read now in verses 5 to 11 are indicatives. It's declarative. It's saying, if you are indwelt by the spirit, and you are if you belong to Christ, if Christ has saved you, then you will walk in the spirit. And this is what you get. And if you are not in the spirit, you are in the flesh. That is to say, you've got that dead body right on you. Maybe you can't smell it. Maybe your nose has become accustomed to decomposing flesh. Maybe you're used to seeing another set of eyeballs that maybe are gone now because they've rotted away. And you're just used to living that way. But the Bible says that you're in the flesh. You can't please God. And you need a savior. There's no middle ground in the Bible. There's none. There's no, I'm just a good guy, I'm going to make it, I'm going to be fine. No, no, no. You're either walking around with a rotting, dead body strapped to your face, or you're set free in Christ. That's it. That's it. That's it. You see, what we have here in verses 5 to 11 are the description for one who has the Spirit versus one who does not have the Spirit. What we see in these verses is simply what our life is in Christ. And oh, what differing realities. You see, what we see here is the direction of our will is determined by the definition of our nature. Fancy word for you, ontology. Ontology. Okay? You get that right next to cosmetology at the grocery store. Ontology. You don't. That was a joke. Ontology is is the study of being. Ontology. Who I am. This 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 passage is about ontology. It is about who we are. If you are a Christian, you have the spirit in you and you will walk this way and you will get these benefits. If you don't, you have the flesh. And the way he communicates that is this word mindset. You see it there with me? Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds. That that word there in the Greek is a mindset. It's, it's, It's the way we think about things. It's who we are. It's how we interpret life. So the mind set on the spirit, excuse me, on the flesh, who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. Now here we go, here's the difference. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. That's a huge contrast. One is death, one is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So he's just saying, if you are not a Christian, if you do not have the Spirit of God in you, then this is what your life is all about. It leads ultimately to death. Why? Because you're hostile to God. Here's the two choices for every human being that's ever lived, either God's enemy or God's friend. And we were all born God's enemies. And it's Jesus who makes us God's friends. That's it. Not only is it hostile to God, think about it. Do you really want to be hostile with God? Of course, we don't think about it because we're deceived. But it's funny, people pick fights with God. You can't win that one. Next, it it, it does not submit to God's law. So if you're in the flesh... You, you do not submit to God's law, which is, which is arguing by logic. How can one say that if one is a Christian, has the spirit, one then is free to break the law if the mark of one who is not a Christian is that that person doesn't submit to the law? So wouldn't it be sort of logical that a person who is a Christian 
happily submits to the law. This is why Jesus cut that dead body off of us. So that we could obey the law. This this is what God does for us. And then finally, we see here, what does the flesh, the mindset of the flesh do? It brings death. It cannot please God. So my appeal to you this morning, if you are here this morning, as one who is in the flesh, one who does not have the Spirit of God in you, one who does not belong to Christ, I appeal to you with tears. I appeal to you with all of my heart that you would please turn and repent and believe. See, here's the good news. You're here and you're hearing me. (laughs) That means that God has a plan for your life. That means that God has brought you here. God is sovereign in all this. And he's saying, make peace with me. See where it says there that the spirit is life and peace? The biggest peace that you need is with God. You may not have peace with anyone else after you become a Christian. You may actually experience more war at times, spiritual warfare. But you'll have peace with God. And ultimately, that will lead you to life. And you have it now, and I I beg you. There's no middle ground. You're either God's enemy or God's friend. Be reconciled to God. But look at the Spirit, verses 9 to 11. Belonging to Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. You see those ifs there in verse 9? They really should be since. I mean, he's asking it almost, you know, like, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, what he's saying is, it does. Okay? If, of course it does. And, but if Christ is in you, and he is, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. What he is saying here is that the promised Holy Spirit, the very Holy Spirit that God promised us in the Old Testament has been given to us now in Jesus Christ. Remember the message on the ascension? One of the things that happened at the ascension is that Jesus Christ sent the Holy Spirit and he sent the Holy Spirit to fulfill his promise. Look at Jeremiah 31, 33. Here's the promise of God from the Old Testament. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. He sends the Spirit to write the law on our hearts. God's Spirit is, what is He going to write on our hearts? God's law. Because God's law is who He is. We're free now to fulfill the requirement of the law, free to please God. Our obedience is not duty imposed from without No, Jeremiah 31 says in the New Covenant, it's not the old way of the written code that killed us. No, it's the new way of the Spirit. But the new way of the Spirit, listen, it's not a duty imposed from without, but a delight arising from within. Because the Spirit dwells within us. This is exactly what Corey preached three weeks ago. That we are temples of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says that. Notice what it says. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Okay, that's what we're reading here. Now notice, whom you have from God, you are not your own. You are not your own. And then the next verse, verse 20, it says, so glorify God with your bodies. You see, the good news is this. After cutting off the corpse and setting us free from the law of sin and death by dying for us, Jesus then was raised from the dead by the Father three days later. 
Jesus is alive and gives us the Spirit, His Spirit, the same Spirit, the Spirit of God, the one who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that is God, His Spirit, dwells in us because we belong to Christ. And He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to our mortal bodies through the Spirit. Look at the text, verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, yes, it is. Listen, remember I told you that the the eschaton, the end time, breaks into today? The spirit is breaking into this time of the flesh, this time of death. Life breaks in. So we have already a promise of it, but not yet the fulfillment of it. Our bodies are going to die because of sin. We get sick. My, My throat's not feeling very well. It hasn't been feeling well for a couple of days. I could fall asleep on the floor of my office most days at around 3 in the afternoon. No pillow, nothing. Just lay down and fall asleep. Yeah, I know. I'm a viejito. I got it. I'm an old man. My body is dying. My mother's body is dying. My father-in-law's body is dying. He had a mini stroke this couple of days ago. My wife is going through change of life. Ladies that are going through that, you know what that's all about. You feel like you're dying. My memory isn't what it used to be. This is true. But, but, and and the reason that's happening is because Adam sinned against God. He broke God's law, and that punishment is death, and that punishment's on me. But Jesus has set me free from that. So though my body's going to die, I've got this promise that one day it will rise from the dead. And, look at the second part of verse 10, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Not my righteousness. See, that's what the law promised. Obey me, you you get righteousness, you get life. I can't. Boom, dead body strapped to my face. Jesus comes, cuts the dead body off and says, my obedience gives you life. Righteousness, when it says righteousness here, it's Christ's righteousness, a foreign righteousness to us. The spirit is life because of righteousness. And then the promise in verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, so you see the Trinity here, the spirit of him, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God... God the Son here. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and he does, it should say there, since, and he does, you're either a Christian or you're not. You either belong to Jesus or you don't. And he chose you, by the way. And so if you do, his spirit's in you. This is true of you. This is true of you. If that spirit is in you, and it is, he will also give life to your mortal bodies, pointing to the final day of resurrection, pointing to the day that I will be raised with a new body that will never die again. What hope? What hope? Through His Spirit who dwells in you. Now, I want to end with something here that I really believe is for us, church, from the Lord. I think it fits exegetically, in other words, what this text is saying. But I believe it's more than just a nice thing to know. I believe it's to many of you right now. So listen carefully. I'm going to read some scripture. You see the accent on resurrection in verse 11? He's the God of resurrection. All three persons of the Trinity were involved in the resurrection. God the Father raised up the the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's going to raise us up. Jesus experienced the resurrection. He was raised from the dead. First one ever to be raised from the dead that way with an immortal body and a glorified body. That resurrection power is part of what was promised with the Spirit. And let me read to you where it was promised. It's a long text, but stay with me. It's going to be on the screen. It's in Ezekiel. It's in Ezekiel chapter 37. 
When Israel was having a hard time, Israel is God's people, like you may be having a hard time. When Israel, God's people, were a little dry, even a little dead. In fact, they were so dead, they were a valley of bones. And listen to this prophecy. And this is what I believe is being fulfilled here in this text that we're reading today. And this is the hope. And this is serving God in the newness of the Spirit. Ezekiel is writing now. The hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was a valley full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. So just picture a bunch of dry bones. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? Oh, they can, friend. I don't care what you, where you are right now. I don't care how dead you are. I don't care how much sin you're doing when no one's watching. I don't care how much you want to quit because you can't stop. You can live. And you do live by the Spirit of God that is within you. And I answered, oh, Lord, God, you know. That's a smart answer to God. I don't know. You know, Lord. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Oh, hear the word of the Lord, church. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you will live. You shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. Oh, church, I'm listening for the sound. There was a sound, and behold, a rattling. Imagine a bunch of bones coming together. A rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them. And flesh had come upon them. And skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. God breathed on us by the Spirit of God. We live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet. An exceedingly great army, an army of exegetes that preach the word in this country. Notice, an army of faithful members that give and serve and love one another. An army of Christians that suffer well and say, I will trust my God in every aspect, in every way. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel, God's people. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost and we are indeed cut off. Are you saying that this morning? Do you feel like your bones are dried up? Your hope is lost and do you feel cut off? Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves. O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Today, that's a spiritual land. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves. Oh, my people, verse 14 is the key. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it, declares the Lord. God did what the law could not do, weakened by the flesh. God did it. And he's breathed into us. And he's given us life, church. 
We're moving from a valley of dry bones to a valley filled with the army of God. Friends, at Palm Vista, we have experienced some dry seasons. We've experienced some trials. We've maybe been tempted to feel, "What's what's the use? I feel cut off. Friends, this text, God the Holy Spirit this morning gives us assurance that one day we will be raised, our bodies will be raised from the dead. We will have immortal glorified bodies in between now and then. We have life and peace. He gives us assurance and hope of resurrection life that is coming a second time. And today, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity at work in salvation, here at Palm Vista, saving, leading, bringing in guests, bringing in the unbelievers, converting them, giving us hope and assurance based on the promise of the Spirit who brings resurrection, life, and forevermore. Let's pray. Worship team, join me up front. Lord God, I pray that you would please give us fresh faith. Fresh faith. Lord, that that individual right now who's saying, I've lost all hope. Al, I feel like such a hypocrite. Al, I feel like I I can't fight this sin. I feel like there's a corpse strapped to me when it comes to this area. I can't stop doing it. I'm like Paul in Romans 7. I'm not doing the things that I know I should be doing, and I'm doing the very things that I don't want to do. And I cry out, and Father, I pray right now as they cry out, you would pour out your spirit. You would give them assurance. You would give them hope. Oh God, a hope that never fails. A hope of resurrection power, both at the end time and now. The eschaton has broken into the present. The end is broken into the now. In Christ, by your spirit. Lord, save that one who is right now your enemy. Open hearts. Lord, turn stony hearts into flesh. Blind eyes that can see and deaf ears to hear. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.